From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. Now, let's say there's an exposure. Uh, Let's say the patient came out positive. What to do next? Well, we always want to make sure to inform the city of every positive case. So we establish a streamline where uh, our managers are responsible to make sure to report this uh, positive uh, outcomes to the city and keep them in record uh, for us to manage. That's David Gutierrez talking about COVID-19 protocols at his practice. We'll hear more from David on ways to develop effective protocols and efficient operational processes at medical practices. And we'll hear about David's work as an epidemiologist. But first, a word from our sponsors. Jackson Physician Search are experts at sourcing physicians, physician leaders, and advanced practice professionals for medical groups. Get targeted digital sourcing strategies that run 24-7, resulting in faster placements and a greater return on your investment. Jackson Physician Search has more than 40 years of experience placing physicians across all specialties nationwide. To reach the doctors you want to hire, visit jacksonphysiciansearch.com slash clients. A proven payment solution for patients' out-of-pocket cost, the Care Credit Health, Wellness, and Personal Care Credit Card gives cardholders a convenient way to pay for treatments and procedures at locations in the Care Credit Network. With promotional financing for purchases of $200 or more, cardholders can move forward with the care they need and want today and they can make monthly payments over time. Learn more about how Care Credit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com/mgma-podcast. Epidemiology has taken center stage this year in the healthcare arena due to the global pandemic caused by COVID-19. In this episode of the MGMA Insights podcast, we're joined by David Gutierrez, a practice administrator with Alamo Osteopathic. David brings a unique perspective to medical practice operations due to his background in epidemiology, his experience in stem cell biology, and his research into the future of workspace and how the digital age impacts job performance in organizational culture. David, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Now, let's talk about your practice first. Uh, Give us an idea of the size and scope of your practice. Yeah, of course. So I currently work for Alamo Osteopathic, which is one of the largest single proprietorship companies in Texas. Uh, we are a family practice with seven locations across San Antonio and New Braunfels area. And we focus on osteopathic medicine since, since most of our physicians are DOs. Um, my current title in the company is assistant COO. So I tend to oversee the whole company. Okay. 
Thanks for that. Now, what is your primary focus then as assistant COO? It seems like you've got uh, a lot of things on your plate. So what are you focused on right now? You do. I mean, it's, it's a tough question to answer, really. I mean, with healthcare being such a volatile like environment, I believe I changed my primary focus multiple times a day. But overall, like I believe my primary focus is to look for any type of deficiencies in the company and develop strategies and protocols to optimize our patient care and satisfaction while keeping our company healthy and running. Thanks for that, David. Uh, now, what are the biggest challenges that the practice is facing right now? I believe this year has brought a lot of challenges that we did not take into consideration before. And what I mean by it is how to keep patients healthy while keeping their risk of COVID exposure at minimum. Uh, on April, when the pandemic really started to pick up in Texas, fears of COVID exposure kept patients away from the practice, especially in our older population, which are the most vulnerable, but as well, they're the sickest. Uh, the use of telemedicine has really helped in this situation and has increased dramatically in our patients since the pandemic started, but it's still hard to really assess a patient over a camera, especially if they're not very tech savvy like our older population. Uh, or they're required to do labs every one to three months, depending on their chronic conditions. I mean, it's very hard for the provider to really assess the patient. And sadly, we have seen a decline in patient compliance and increase in patient visits to the emergency room and hospitals, which, you know, decreases our standard of care and our value-based scores across all insurances. Mm-hmm. Has there been anything you guys have been doing to try to combat that or to kind of raise the level of efficiency, get things smoother there uh, to integrate telehealth and some of the other, you know, issues that you've ha been having to deal with lately? Yeah, so we actually been working closely with the insurances and uh, they actually have a lot of uh, community workers that they make sure to, you know, call the patients, remind them to take the medication, remind them to go pick up the medication. Uh, for example, Humana has this uh, mail-in medicine that patients don't really have to go out to the pharmacy. Uh, they, can just, they can just obtain the medication in their do doorstep. Um, another way I guess we can tackle it is by uh, taking home health. Uh, we assign them to a home health company. And you know, if patients feel comfortable enough to let them into their house, you know, they are able to draw the blood so we can know exactly what's going on, how the medication is functioning in their system. And that's one of the ways we've been tackling this situation. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, David. Now, I want to take a step back for a moment because you have a very interesting background as someone who is, uh, you know, elevating to this sort of COO executive type level. You haven't always been just in the on the business side of healthcare, your, your academic work um, and earlier career is in epidemiology. So, uh, you know, we've been going through a huge epi epidemiology situation here this year with COVID-19. So how has that background helped inform your mindset uh, about healthcare and how have you been able to apply some of that background in helping create a safe environment um, at your practice. Let me ask you this. What do you picture when you hear the word healthcare? I mean, what comes to mind when you, when I say that? Yeah. I mean, for, 
someone like myself, I think about it from the perspective of, you know, meeting with a doctor, uh, going to a clinic and getting those checkups, uh, that kind of thing. And in, in overall being educated about my own healthcare and taking care of myself in, you know, from a personal side, so I don't have to go to the, the doctor as often. So I kind of think about it in those terms. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and that's usually the most common answer I get doctors, hospital, nurses, like treatments, medicine. But what if I told you if that 70% of deaths globally are actually caused by non-communicable diseases, with most of them, of course, being cardiovascular disease, cancer, chronic respiratory disease. Doctors and nurses do take care of this chronic condition, but what, are you, what if they, we lower or we reduce all these chronic conditions in the first place? What if we can avoid childhood obesity? What if we can lower like our lung cancer by reducing smoking? What if we, what if we can avoid diabetes by eating healthier? Um, let me give you a good example of what I heard from my etiology professor while in my undergrad career has really stuck with me since. Um, so imagine a bridge that's not really completed. You know, there's no signs or anything to let people know that if you walk over, you're going to fall. So, you know, what people do is go ahead and go into the bridge and fall into the water and go down the stream where healthcare workers come in like doctors and nurses and they go into the water and like rescue these people. But what if there's a barrier? What if there's a bridge that informs people that the bridge is not complete yet to stop and go back? That's pretty much what public health is. And our main goal is to reduce health risk by research and community, community education and health policies. Uh, I apply such factors to the company by encouraging physicians not only to treat, but educate our patients. I make sure to always be able to provide patients with educational documents on their chronic conditions every time they come in. And this is what healthcare is really transitioning into. This is what insurances are now embracing nowadays. You know, we are switching from a fee-per-service to a value-based care service. And, you know, instead of just treating these chronic condi conditions, it's better to just prevent them. And um, I believe another way that I'm able to apply my epidemiology knowledge uh, was thanks to a lot of the research I worked with uh, in my undergrad career. I worked with uh, Dr. Brian Herman. He's a lab director at UTSA and is currently doing a lot of uh, stem cell research. In the lab, we had to learn a lot of uh, protocols, safety precautions, how to avoid contamination, exposure, and if such ever happened, how to proceed. Uh, I guess with this and combined with my epidemiology education has really helped our company establish a safety protocol to minimize patient and employee exposure to COVID-19 and has shown to be actually very effective. I mean, we have different protocols established that we are very thankful that we're there and has saved a lot of, uh, you know, strategies. Okay. Well, that, that does explain some things. And I did want to ask you, so ep epidemiologists, you know, have become kind of uh, rock stars this year. We've got Dr. Fauci and other people like that. So talk about that then. I mean, you were talking from the perspective of during that stem cell research, you guys had certain protocols in place. What did you do then once COVID-19 hit? Were you able to implement some of those protocols or some of the practices you've learned previously in your career uh, in your practice now? 
Yes, I, I was able to. So once COVID hit, we really didn't have a established protocol on what to do exactly. And um, I was just trying to pull, you know, ideas together and coming up with protocols. So let me, guide, let me kind of take you through the process that we have currently in our office. Before anyone comes in, there's a big sign at the door that says, hey, if you have this type of symptoms, flu, you know, uh, cough, uh, some type of diarrhea, you know, just depending on the COVID symptoms, uh, that's what our first barrier. Then um, we make sure that every patient gets screened. You know, we take the temperature even before we let them in into the office, as well as every employee. They have to make sure to take the temperature, uh, their oxygen, and write it down and put it in a sheet that is emailed every week to, uh, the, to me, to myself. <laughs> I keep track of all that. Um, another way that we make sure is that we have a COVID questionnaire in English and Spanish, you know, very simplified for the patient. Uh, they have to fill it out and we upload that into the records. Um, now, let's say there's an exposure. Uh, let's say the patient came out positive. What to do next? Well, we always want to make sure to inform the city of every positive case. So we establish a streamline where uh, our managers are responsible to make sure to report this uh, positive uh, outcomes to the city and keep them in record uh, for us to manage and see exactly what percent of the, our patients and our population is getting exposed. So for example, in an office where we saw an increase of patient exposure in positive cases, we were starting to worry more about that office. So we're starting to, you know, be more cautious about it. Hey, you know, stop cleaning, you know, maybe at the end of the day and start cleaning like every two, three patients or every patient in this specific clinic. Because I, I guess around April, supplies were very limited. You know, face masks, uh, sanitizer, paper towels. I mean, toilet paper was, was gone. Uh, so we tried to make the most out of it with the least that we had. Mm -hmm. uh, and luckily, we haven't had any cases in our community or in our like uh, company. Uh, we have had positive cases in the patients and sure. we make sure to sanitize. But this is one of the ways that we make sure to target such. Yeah. And you're working with then mostly, is it an elderly population of patients? Is that correct? That is correct. So our population base uh, ranges around uh, 45 to 65, 66 years old. Uh, so they are not necessarily in the older, you know, Medicare percentage, but they're getting there. Mm -hmm. uh, so we want to make sure we are very cautious, especially with those patients and especially with patients that have severe chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, one of the things that we often do on this podcast is we drill down very deeply in a particular topic area, but because you're on the operations side, I thought it would be interesting to get a glimpse inside of what your day-to-day -day life, life is there at the practice. So let's walk through that and let's begin at the beginning, so to speak. How does your work day begin? What, what happens when you walk in that door and, and, and get to work? Yeah, so um, every day when I come in, the first thing I do is check my emails. I mean, mostly actually containing on financial sheets where are the previous day's collections, charges, deposits, and trying to see for any type of discrepancies. 
um, I will tend to look on how we're going to be doing today. How many patients are scheduled for today? How many, uh, you know, what type of services are we providing? Uh, do we have the necessary equipment to do such things? Are we keeping up, you know, making sure all of our um, syringes and uh, liquids are there for the patients? Um, then after I'm done with kind of, you know, looking over my emails, I tend to schedule most of my meetings in the morning. I think that's whenever I feel more active. And this means are usually with insurance groups where they let us know how we're currently doing with our population measures. What patients are in gaps, what patients need, you know, to be treated better, uh, patients uh, that need more of a compliance system that we want to target to close measures. Um, and this usually takes like, you know, an hour or two, depending on how many uh, insurances we're targeting. And I guess by around this time, it's usually the afternoon. And I guess in the afternoon, that's kind of my break. Uh, I make sure to disconnect from work, unless of course there's something important going on. And I mean, I really, you know, stress people to take time during their work schedule because I mean, I've seen uh, burnouts. I mean, healthcare executives, two out of three people are actually felt some type of burnout which you know, inhibits their ability to communicate, perform tasks, and it really just affects your health, I mean, your mental and physical. So I strongly recommend other like, you know, practice executives to take a moment from themselves. Uh, once a little <laughs> break is over, I tend to go back into work and I usually work on projects. Uh, I always working on a monthly project that either I'll be presenting or delivering to the whole company. Um, coming up with protocols and you know this takes a lot of time and you want to make sure that you're staying up to date with new uh, information is coming out and you want to make sure you you know figure out the ticks of it so whenever you go and present it this is actually a very easy way and you know multiple for every practice because every practice is a little bit different so you want to make sure it's not just set in stone but it's able to kind of, you know, be like a puzzle. Mm -hmm. Is there such thing as a typical day? I mean, if you carved out blocks, it did sound like that you had put together a routine for you. I know that things can happen, but for the most part, is there a typical day for you? Uh, God, typical days are very rare in healthcare. <laughs> I mean, I'm in thinking of a schedule of things to do, but in reality, you know, in reality, you change everything. I mean, things can just change in a matter of seconds to accommodate a given situation. I mean, I was honestly very lucky enough to have, you know, my best mentor, which is a company COO, which has been in the healthcare system for over 30 years. And she has made sure that I understood every department in the company. I mean, some days I can be in a computer, responding to emails, being on my phone, other days, I can find myself in the back, triaging patients, doing blood work, labs. Other days, I'm traveling to different offices to look at their workflow, you know, seeing, you know, any struggles that they're going through and training the staff members to improve the current system. I mean, really, if you want a typical workflow day, I believe healthcare might not be in your best interest. Right. No, that's a good point. And it sounds like there are so many moving parts here. There's so many things that could be thrown at you that you didn't expect. 
So it is an atypical day. How in the world then do you stay organized? What is your secret sauce, your recipe <laughs> to be an organized person? Because you've really got to set the tone for a lot of your organization. How do you do that? Of course. Um, well, I stroll, strongly suggest a calendar. I mean, I specifically have a notebook size calendar that I keep with me through the, through the entire day. Uh, when receiving phone calls, emails, there's always something to remember. So I make sure to write down because if I don't, it's gone. Um, another way I say organize, specifically on my emails, is by creating folders. Uh, you know, I believe every email system has a capability now of creating folders. So these folders, I make sure to like, you know, label them, you know, by every provider, office manager, staff member, I have like over 30 folders, I believe at this point. And, you know, every conversation that I have that I know I might need probably in the future, I put into a folder. And instead of scrolling through like two, three, four, six pages of emails trying to look for a specific one, you know, I just go to that folder and it takes me just a second to find what I need. Mm -hmm. You do have meetings though. So do you schedule check-ins with the team? Um, do you, you know, to just kind of take their temperature, so to speak, see how they're doing, if they're getting overstressed and what is then the secret to keeping them motivated, keeping them efficient and, you know, kind of in a positive way right now, because there is so much going on. Yeah, there is. I mean, I believe staff communication is key to a transparent organization. I mean, with seven offices, sometimes it's hard to communicate with everyone in a single week. So we make sure to, you know, have a time on Mondays to, you know, talk and discuss any changes or updates in the practice. You know, you want to make sure that uh, they feel listened to your office staff man managers and employees. Um, you know, we are also implementing a system where we obtain benchmarks of everyone's like average performance and encourage them to go above and beyond. I mean, a good example is, you know, if a clinic sees 35 patients and in a given month, they'll see like a thousand, you know, you're like, hey, you know what, you're doing great. If you surpass this, you know, by 10%, we'll, you know, do something for you. You want to make sure they are acknowledged. You want to make sure you give them positive feedback. Uh, it could be, you know, as little as, you know, throwing a little surprise lunch or a uh, little incentive here and there. But, you know, you want to make sure that they feel acknowledged. I mean, that's, I guess, one of the biggest parts as a leader. And even for those offices that, you know, are struggling to, you know, meet performances, you also need to make sure to give them the same amount of uh, attention. You know, you want to give them the necessary tools and education because I believe everyone has potential. You're just going to make sure you know, they have a way to apply it. Mm -hmm. Now, in 2018, you published a paper. It's titled, The Future of Workspace, How Will the Digital Age Impact Job Performance in Organizational Culture? Really want to drill down on that. What is the central theme that emerged from your research? Yeah, so um, I guess... What I found mostly interesting in this paper that I published uh, is that technology advancements are, you know, nowadays are doing most of the muscle power jobs where society are now transitioning into more of a caring jobs. I mean, for example, from 1990 to 2010, the top five growing industries were healthcare, education, community workers, uh, 
technology or AI or IT, and of course marketing, which all of it really targets just the individual. Um, also, AI and programming has you know simplified tasks where previously extensive education and experience have was necessary. And you know a great example is you know medical equipment. We have simplified the diagnostic testing before companies had to look hire uh, and train technicians to know how to operate and handle the testing equipment. Now you can train an MA to perform such tests. Let me give you an example. For us in our clinic, it took, it took us two days to train our office staff on how to use a reticular imaging equipment, which targets diabetic patients uh, for renopathy. Uh, you know, they aren't able to interpret such results, but they're able to obtain the correct pitch pictures to give them to the ophthalmologist. Um, other examples are ABI testing, peripheral neuropathy studies. I mean, this can be taught to staff members in a matter of days. And these advancements will provide medical offices with faster testing, and which gives you know, the results to the physician much quicker. And um, guess lastly, uh, we have seen that jobs that are able to perform outside of the office now. I mean, you know, with this pandemic, we've seen that companies have the liberty to do that. And, you know, they weren't sure about it. But take, for example, the Twitter CEO, Jack Dorsey, he published, he publicly stated that their most of their employees are able to work from home, even after the pandemic. And many companies across the globe start to embrace this new culture. Uh, in the upcoming years, we will see a decline in office establishments and an increase in home offices. Uh, which has shown to be actually very beneficial. A uh, research from Stanford University showed that working from home actually increased the productivity by 13%, which is a great trade-off for business owners because you know you have the reduction in overhead in overhead spending, uh, you know facility payments, maintenance, and also employees are happier with their jobs when offered you know the remote working compared to their counter full-time office workers. So I mean. Technology is really pushing us into a more uh, practical way of doing things. I mean, you know, you don't really have to leave your house anymore to get groceries, seeing providers, I mean, work. I mean, it's just really making it more simple for daily living. Okay. Well, David, uh, thanks for sharing these insights with us and pro for providing a, a glimpse of a uh, little insight into your day-to-day -day activities at your practice. Thank you for that. Well, thank you very much, Daniel. And I hope this was of interest and hopefully helps someone out there. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, David Gutierrez. And thanks to Jackson Physician Search and to Care Credit for sponsoring this week's show. Learn more about how JPS can help you reach the doctors you want to hire at jacksonphysiciansearch.com slash clients. And learn more about how Care Credit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover, or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at mgma daniel. 
MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.